0: Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia, I'm sitting here with Joel, and our guest today is the author of Phosphorescence, a book on awe, wonder, and the things that sustain you when the world goes dark. And that's Julia Baird. Welcome, Julia.
1: Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for coming in. Yeah. It's a pleasure.
2: I loved this book, first of all, Thank you. <laughs> and I was fascinated by the concept and this idea of the things that sustain you in the, when the world goes dark what drew you to that as a as a sort of metaphor
1: you know I can't even say that because it just came upon me that metaphor one day I just I knew I really wanted to write about just some things that you know some kind of pillars of thought or things about the crossbeams of life what is it that gets you through when life gets hard how do you build those structures in place consciously instead of just thinking, I'll just, you know, see where the wind takes me, which will inevitably happen anyway. But, and I just remember walking along one day, I think I was coming back from my morning swim and thinking, phosphorescence, that's the idea. I've always kind of been fascinated by the idea of living light and I hadn't seen it for such a long time since I was like a teenager and um, camping around Seal Rocks when we used to arrive there really late at night and just go jumping into the water and see these kind of galaxies swirling around behind us. Um, but then I became so fascinated by it. I just I started to actively hunt it out bioluminescence in places around Australia while I was writing the book.
2: Mm, I love it, and you describe it at one point in the book quite early on as quietly glowing without combusting (laughs) I just think that's such a beautiful
1: thought well I think there's so much of like the way we're taught to be is kind of to be you know fierce and strong and out there and sometimes you just want to keep it together (laughs) and stay cool and somehow stay alight, you know. And and actually I think we also underestimate the importance of being small. Like I think we, we talk about projecting. I mean there's TED Talks about standing especially for women with hands on your hips and occupying space and demanding and commanding attention. And all that is well and good in its place, especially in, in a professional setting. <laughs> but um, I was really struck by how once I dug into a lot of the literature around awe and wonder how important it is for us humans psychologically to feel small, to pe- feel that we're part of something so much bigger than us.
2: Yeah, I was really struck by that um, factoid in it. I can't remember the exact context, but on they, they tested people for... Uh, once they had experienced, it might have been when they saw the T-Rex skeleton or something. And they, yeah, And right. their handwriting gets smaller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved that. So, yeah. That's amazing.
1: They're more likely to see themselves as part of a group. Mm-hmm. Um, people who've been standing next to a t-rex as opposed to people who hadn't yeah that's amazing. Um, and you know kind of yeah the handwriting is is, is similar as well I, it's I think when we when we're small when we're standing under like a huge galaxy of stars so we're at the fringes of an enormous ocean we're, we're more likely as well social scientists have began to document kind of be altruistic be kinder to each other be kind of more connected Um we're not jostling for our own place we're kind of recognizing how linked we are in this vast earth and astronauts report the same thing as well i was i became very interested in the this thing called the overview effect which is what happens to astronauts psychologically when they return from space and uh, and again like they they are trained as often as engineers and as scientists and they come back as these kind of poetic philosophers who are talking about what it meant to have the world disappear behind their thumb when they raised it up, mm. and how thin the barriers between people seemed, and barriers between continents, and how important it was to preserve this kind of precious thing of life, and then preserve the planet. How, how thin the um, the atmosphere seemed, and, and they, they come back, you know, very intent on you know, preserving that, the world, the environment, each other, um, and again, I think a lot of that's about feeling small, just not just us, but the earth. Mm.
0: Yeah, it really does. And it's interesting that you're coming back to this idea, because we went through a whole period of time, like around romanticism, when it was all about the sublime and about getting lost into nature to feel small. So it's interesting that we're trying coming to come back, back to, it to now.
1: that. Yeah. yeah, I think, look, the tipping point just a few years ago, when we became a more urbanised world you know, when more than 50% of us began to live in cities. And I don't think a lot of city planners always necessarily factored that in, especially in times of rapid growth, what that would mean and how important green was, how important trees were. And again, like it's a, I mean, we've seen in the growth in forest therapy, which kind of originated in Japan and is spreading through the world. There's people who train as forest therapists in Australia and the US and the UK. And it seems really banal on one level Mm. and kind of risible on one like you just what you take people out and they're just talking to trees (laughs) um but really it's a sense of like slowing your senses and being aware um and walking through the earth in a different way and especially when things going on around you that you cannot control just how important it is to go out and just feel the wind on your face or take your kids as as you were telling me joel to you know down to the zoo and kind mm. of marvel at a was it a tiger, a tiger. the paw of a tiger high-fiving
2: and... my two-year-old right amazing that is amazing. amazing
1: yeah and imagine like and that and her it was the same size you showed me the photo yeah and she'll always kind of remember that i mean that those things are um inestimable in in kind of it's it's wonder and I think I think what I really thought about a lot when doing this book is that we tend to think that's all serendipitous we tend to think we'll stumble on wonder and we'll stumble on awe I had never really realized how deliberate we should be about it how important it is to go no I'm gonna make space in my day or make space in my week and my time to make sure I take my kid out jumping in puddles Mm. or looking at the ocean when there's a really big swell and it smashes on the store you know on the shore or whatever it is even if you're just marvelling over a bird, how crucial that is. And there's a um, – Martha Nussbaum, the you know American philosopher, talks about how twinkle, twinkle, little star, it's really important to get kids to wonder about something other than yourself. What is going on in that star? I don't know. I still wonder about it, mm. you know?
2: And this is quite a personal book for you as well. Right. Do you think your experiences over the last few years with your health have – allowed you to access some of this stuff or on a like emotional level
1: yeah yeah absolutely I mean I had to I think it forced me to a point where I had to especially when it kind of became an extended period of ill health um so you're really stripped But when you when you get a diagnosis or you're really sick or you get really bad news it's like um it's like, imagine you're standing in the, you know, on, on a stage, forget the audience, but that sense of a theatre stage when there's really no, the ceiling and the walls fall away. It's just exactly where you are with the spotlight. It becomes like that. It's only, only what matters at that exact moment is exactly where you're standing, and you hear your own footfalls and your own breathing and your own, and you suddenly know, often know instinctively exactly what it is you need. If you need to have reach a piece of calm, place of calm that will give you strength, and the friends to have you nearby. And those people, a lot of people who go through those kind of times of trauma will report back on how important it was to have a cup of tea, <laughs> um, which I don't <laughs> know you can relate to, like on their porch at the same time and watch the cockatoos flying overhead. Like the simplest things like that and the moment that you can start to walk again and go outside your front door and how incredibly... Sustaining that can be. So, yeah, so maybe I think at times writing the book, it wasn't so much I wasn't even writing about cross beams. It was kind of monkey bars. I'll hold on to this and then I'll hold on to that and then I'll hold on to this. And mm. I really became aware of how much quiet strength that can give you. But it's an urgent task when you're, when you're really facing kind of either life threatening things or things that really overwhelm you. And there's so many things that to overwhelm us right now.
2: Mm. I mean, mm. it's come at an insanely apt moment, this book, I feel. Oh. Um, I, I write... wish
1: I was pleased about that. Know. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I, there's nothing to be pleased right, about. Right, no. Um,
2: but it, it is the book that people should read right now, I feel, if mm. they want to feel a bit better about the world and find some solace um there's it is, solace
1: to be had and there's absolutely. also i'm sorry to interrupt but it's also that sense of like oh yeah we've got these massive issues as you know there's a, a looming recession there's a, this global pandemic there's climate change and all, there's a lot of work to be done and you never suggest oh go and walk through some trees and you know um you know have, have a few cups of tea and um you know meditate or, or whatever it is that gives you stillness for a while it is a sense of we've got a lot of work to do and you will need your strength. We all have to be in our peak fighting fitness kind of mentally right now because we've got a lot to do and I feel you've got to work out what gives you strength and for a lot of people it's this kind of thing. Mm,
2: that's a beautiful way of putting it. I, even though this book is very, in some ways, it's very intellectually rigorous and literary, it's also very earnest. <laughs> and no. which, is, which can be such a sin I can be honest, and yet I, I feel like it. you pull it off did you uh, did you catch yourself at times going wow what have I just said like, so,
1: <laughs> no. like,
2: I think if you had expressed it poorly it right. would be what you're saying in some at some points would be cheesy but give me but, an
1: example
2: I think like um well I mean even the concept of making yourself small and um being in awe of trees if if,
0: if that
1: was
2: if that was offered to me absent the book right right And that's what I'm thinking about our listeners now and yeah right I want them to realize that this is this book is this very interesting mix of different types of um, writing and i I just am curious about how you approached what what was going through your head when you had to interrogate those and did did you have that thought at any point were you worried did I don't know if a, I was worried about Ernest.
1: oh yeah you're always worried like because it's a you know it's a reflection of things that you really care about um and it's personal you always worry about that so I'm worried maybe about being sentimental I was like you know I got of my a few of my dry friends to kind of have a look at it on those fronts but no, like I think trees, like they're the most <laughs> profound and amazing things. I took a photo of a tree I loved this morning. Um, and I, I, like really? I was actually reading something about meditating and um, prayer the other day and the guy, this guy was like, I don't really know how to do it. All I, all I tell people is to go and sit in front of a tree and stare at it. And I guarantee you, if you kind of did that for an hour, you started to notice the trees about you that you see every day and on your way i mean there's actually a whole bunch of books out about trees about trees talking to each Mm. other and this whole network of communication apart from the fact that they sustain the very air that we breathe right now um, i don't know honestly it's probably i maybe i just am an earnest creature trees have given me so much pleasure in my life they I really am I, not judging. Yeah. I, I'm absolutely not judging. It was such a beautiful read. I mean, you
2: described the sunset at one point, and this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. You thread the needle. <laughs> In Australia, the dawn is an arsonist who pours petrol along the horizon, throws a match on it and watches it burn. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, that, that's what I'm talking about. You thread the needle between... You're describing a sunset, which is a very earnest thing to do.
1: Sun- <laughs> sunrise. Sunrise, sorry, yeah. yes, yes. Of course, the dawn.
2: Yeah. Uh, but somehow you make it uh, almost like a an act of aggression (laughs) no
1: well sometimes the sunrise is an act of aggression and it was when it was when I was swimming one morning and when I really love swimming in winter most of all I usually swim at at seven sometimes a little bit earlier and when you're swimming across the sun is starting to come up and on the way back it is this burning red flame along the horizon I do love ocean swimming and I find it very meditating and peaceful and kind of awesome and yeah i was i was thinking about that um oscar wilde quote when i was swimming about how he describes um the dawn as a girl creeping along the street with silver sandaled feet i was like that is not the way we roll in australia right (laughs) like look at these flaming all those like tim storia paintings like it's like there's something kind of, yeah, they can be angry, they can be visceral, they're Brutal. a, they're a spect- spectacle, you know. Mm. So it was, yeah, I just wrote that from kind of seeing it and thinking the ways that we're told that the dawn is kind of a timid or, you know, a choir breaking into song. It's not <laughs> that way. Often in Australia we have squawking birds and, like, yeah. things aflame. And, yeah. Absolutely.
2: Um, I think one of the... Th- interesting way things you do in this book is we weave together different aspects of your life into a a narrative that connects and I thought um, the section when you start to talk about your activism um, when you were at uni and after was really interesting in how it connects to your sense of awe and wonder Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if you could just sort of expand on that a bit. In particular, you were talking about um, the role of women in the Anglican church, I think.
1: Yeah, I know. It seems like we've gone from trees to... Yeah, I mean...
2: I will just reassure listeners, when you read the book, it fits. It makes sense.
1: (laughs) Right, somehow. (laughs) I'm not doing it justice. Yeah, no, because, look, it's about... I mean, that's in a whole section which is about accepting, honouring, like telling your own story and honouring the impulses that you've had. And it was really about me going through a whole bunch of boxes that I kept for way too long and, like, why? Like, why did I keep all these dusty things? And and just trying to think through why do we believe that these stories matter? And when you look at official archives, it's, which I've spent a lot of time in, especially for my book on Queen Victoria, it's usually the records of men um, and important men and powerful men. We don't really as much have the other scraps of the liminal years, the times in between when no one turned up to meetings and nothing got done and it seems like you were failing and um, you were maybe the subject of ridicule or you were out of step. And I'm like, you know, we kind of really have to honour that. We have to honour the striving and the trying because every every shoulder that leans against something is an additional weight every and i think rebecca solnit put it beautifully about how when the mushrooms sprout underneath mm. all the while I've there's got been that lying whole is, quote. Oh, you, can you read it then? <laughs> i will
2: read it uh you say the mushrooms that spring up after rain are only the fruiting body of a far larger underground fungus we do not see the rain causes the mushrooms to rise out of the earth but the fungus was alive and well and invisible beforehand the rain can be an event
1: that's true that's exactly so beautiful. it's beautiful it's 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 so poetic but it's also historically completely accurate and I wanted that sense to give comfort to people who think oh my gosh think of all these people who are like with climate change have been like painting you know placards and marching and feeling like it all comes to naught it doesn't it accumulates like mm. it, it it matters and it matters that you try and I went back through my own failed period of activism which was um w- looking at um, when women becoming priests, I did my honest thesis on the Anglican Church's refusal to ordain women as priests. I mean, they, the, most of the church eventually did in the 1990s, but the Sydney Diocese, where I was kind of brought up, did not, and has become more aggressive in many ways since then, in not wanting women to speak to mixed congregations. And so I tried to, <laughs> as I was. I don't want to think this is a causation. Cor- I mean, maybe it's a causation correlation thing. But the more I was arguing for them to do that, the worse they got. <laughs> um, I think it was more than me. Um, but yeah, but it, it, honestly, it was just a, it was it was just using that to reflect on um, on, on moments that we that we might wonder w- whether they mattered. Mm. And and I really do genuinely believe it really matters to try and that you should honour that
2: Mm. Mm.
0: in a sense it seems like because your last book was Queen was Victoria and Mm. it was kind of this behemoth book about the life of the Queen and this is such I don't want to say a departure because like you've clearly just spoken about it being a personal history examination of your personal history as opposed to someone else's um could you talk a little bit about how like was it did it feel different or was it were, did you recognise more similarities with yeah. the, this style of writing and this style of book as opposed to um, a big biography?
1: Right. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, the this is more like the columns I've written over time, I think, and I have written columns for a very long time, and often I've written on things that aren't necessarily that are that, like things that will sustain you. Um, you know, let it letter to my son the way women view themselves um a whole bunch of things so it's more in line with with that but um but i loved i loved writing victoria as well i so loved entering another century and just poking my head into a whole other time of kind of growth and expansion and hope and optimism and of course the industrial revolution which is it should have been a bit more controlled at the time. We're dealing with the disastrous <laughs> <were> consequences, <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's since, but yeah, so I like doing, I mean, I will continue to write biography as well. I, I like doing both kinds of writing, all, a bunch of different kinds, but probably those two would be my favourite, mm-hmm. those kinds of columns and um, and biography. It just Did,
0: seems like they're more in conversation with each other than you would
1: think. Yeah, past. I wonder if that's true. It probably is.
2: I don't think yeah I think everyone's work life works end up in conversation with each other mm. I guess.
1: Yeah and I mean look when you uh, I mean there's there's moments in in phosphorescence where I tell my daughter to read history how important it is for her to keep reading it and how you know in in an era of cancel culture and where we're not particularly forgiving of people in public life at the same time we are absolutely rationally thunderously disappointed with the behaviour of many of our public leaders. So I kind of understand that. But biography and history help you understand that people who are truly great people can have streaks of darkness and moments of fuck up. Can I say that? Yeah, you can say that. Go for it. (laughs) I'm used to being on the ABC. Oh, no, go for it. Moments of great (laughs) disappointment. Um, You know, and and people who are completely foul and horrible tight. Tyrants can have moments of tenderness, and how do we accommodate that? And most people, of course, exist on a spectrum in between. I mean, Victoria could be really tough and brutal to one of her kids and then absolutely delightful and forgiving the next moment. And, and, and it's, a, it's a, such a great study of humanity and, and people, and it causes you not to abandon the hope of persuasion and change and people can move over their lives and not calcify but become more open to things so um, mind you I told I gave that to my daughter to read and she turned around and she was like yeah this letter to her she was like yeah it's really good mom she's like but by the way (laughs) this is how she's rebelling against me right by the way I'm not going to read history I was like what are all those World War II books you've been reading? That is history. Like history, it's everywhere. I'm sorry. It's all around you. Um, She's going to have to try to rebel in another way entirely. So, yeah, there's a lot of – I did think through a lot of that stuff. What do we forgive in ourselves and in other people? Because part of my book is kind of about that.
2: I I feel like if there's a spine to this book – and forgive me for saying so, if it's completely off the mark, but it felt at times knowing that you had been ill and recovering through parts of the writing process that this was like an attempt to impart some of the lessons you've learned. Um, maybe to your kids, you know, you, ha- you have a chapter that's addressed to your daughter and a chapter addressed to your son. Is- was that part of it? Was- were you worried that this was your last chance to say this stuff?
1: I definitely wanted to get some things down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: And it really, it really, that's, I think, if I was going to readdress my accusation of calling you Ernest earlier, <laughs> that would be what cut, undercuts it, I think, right. for me, is that you managed to, it feels like this urgent appeal to, to someone uh-huh. <laughs> to listen to this stuff because it's mm-hmm. really important. Mm. And I, um, you know, we, I would like to keep. Asking you more and more questions, but before we um, wrap up, I just wanted to thank you for writing it and um, uh, appeal to our re- our listeners to have a read. Um, is there anything else you want to tell us? Is, can can you give us a, uh, one more
1: moment of awe or a light in the
2: darkness before
1: we? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it was it was such a great pleasure to write this book because with everything going on, like it, it really, um, I, I would just I would just stop and then sink into. What does it mean to wonder how do we teach wonder you know what is all about like why does it that feel so good to be swimming on the edge of a vast ocean like why don't we talk about Freud and 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 love of our friends why do we always talk about schadenfreude why don't we talk about what it means to to get that tight feeling in your chest because you're so proud of someone and so happy of kind of what they've done Mm. why don't we talk enough about You know what hope looks like and what form that actually takes and how you reconcile doubt with with belief that we all can and should reach for what is good and what is better um so it was really um, it was really (laughs) delightful to write Mm. i'm really interested in delight as well too i'm like gotta write another chapter on that but um and on the very last day that i could not touch it anymore um I had to send it off to there's various days of course but this was really it and I had to go back to my editor that night I was staying down the south coast and um I'd heard that there was phosphorescence at a nearby beach piled the kids in the car it was like midnight we got down to this remote beach and it was like there's almost no light pollution where we were so it was just this sky full of stars and we just ran it looked everything looks black and then we ran in and it lit up like this liquid disco ball you know and my kids were neon and splashing around they'd heard me saying the word phosphorescence for so long and my friends and I just jumped around like galas. so it was (laughs) that was such a moment of delight because I was got to show them what it was like as well
2: uh yeah there's nothing like communicating to your kids by actually showing them <laughs> exactly <laughs> instead of just endlessly <laughs> yeah. talking which is, what, <laughs> exactly. which is what i do <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so yeah. much it was a pleasure um for joining us and you can buy phosphorescence on booktopia.com.au
0: and we suggest you read it under a tree <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> Thanks Thanks for listening. Listening. thank you for listening to the booktopia podcast channel What